0: Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, in some areas, spread of the Delta variant is placing more strain on healthcare systems than even at the height of the pandemic. And Hancock County has recently reactivated their weekly COVID dashboard. Does that mean local officials expect yet another surge? Also this morning, there's nearly nothing routine anymore about our post-pandemic routine. What the last 18 months has taught us about rethinking child care. In our ongoing Keeping the Faith series this morning, even as many congregations struggle to reverse the trend of declining attendance, the church has another problem, finding enough mature young people who want to become ministers. And it's time to go cruising once again. We have details on the Flag City Corvette Club's Cartoons on Main event. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, August 4th, 2021. Today is Single Working Women's Day. Big salute to the single working women of the world. Also, it is U.S. Coast Guard Day. It was on this date in the year 1790 that the U.S. Coast Guard was created. So, big happy birthday to the Coast Guard. Uh, National White Wine Day. National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day today. Do... Does white wine go with chocolate chip cookies? I'm not sure. What would be the what would be the wine that you would have with chocolate chip cookies? I don't know. We'll have to ask a sommelier. And it is Assistance Dog Day today as well. So reasons to celebrate today. There are always reasons to celebrate. Um, this was kind of interesting. Among the first things you need to know this morning to get your day started, a guest. Op-ed in the New York Times suggests that health insurers could penalize people who refuse to get the COVID-19 vaccine. This is going to cause a great stir, I think. The uh Times op-ed suggests it would provide an economic incentive for people to get vaccinated, uh pointing out that being hospitalized with COVID racks up big medical bills. And the authors suggest uh, it is entirely avoidable or virtually uh, avoidable by getting vaccinated. They say there is a precedent for this. Some insurers do not cover treatment for what they deem to be risky behavior, such as scuba diving, rock climbing, and so on. And insurers can charge smokers, for example, up to 50% more than non-smokers for some types of health plans under the Affordable Care Act. Um they can even cite. Uh, they 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 can even uh, charge more. Um, oh, okay. This is. I, I'm sorry. I was reading this wrong. It says uh, points out that that uh, uh, reckless drivers, people who have a, a bad driving record, have to pay more for car insurance, which we all know. And so, by extension, they are suggesting that perhaps. Those who refuse to get vaccinated should pay more for their health insurance. They say the logic behind these policies is the defenders' behavior can hurt others and cost society a lot of money if people decide not to get vaccinated and contract bad cases of COVID. They are not only exposing others in their workplace or neighborhoods, the tens or hundreds of thousands spent on their care could mean higher premiums for everyone. So that is the logic. I don't know, we'll see. If that comes to pass, but that is the scuttlebutt. I'm sure that will cause a uh, great deal of uh, debate online. That'll be one of the uh, things that people are buzzing about today. Speaking of the uh, pandemic, this is, this is craziness. Um, researchers at the University of Oklahoma looked into this and find that married people have been reconnecting with old flames during the pandemic. I guess what? We've been that bored that we're reconnecting with old flames. Um, 62% of the nearly 400 adults in this survey done by the University of Oklahoma, 62% they are keeping someone on the back burner just in case. That's how they referred to it. Keeping someone on the back burner just in case. Even if they're in a committed relationship, the study found that 54% of women 44% 44% of men admitted to hooking up with a former partner. Interesting that the percentage was higher among women than men, or maybe just fewer men admitted it. Leader of the study, Dr. John Bannis, says if having ex-partner backburners cascades into increased communication increased romantic activity and bad feelings for the admirer than those in committed relationships might wish to exercise caution before forming a backburner relationship with an ex-partner. Now there's that's going out on a limb. You might want to use caution before do, before doing this. But apparently 62% are another are, are you do you know anyone who's done I don't know anyone who has done this. At least nobody Well, it's not the sort of thing that I've been talking about with my friends during the pandemic, so I don't know. Maybe they have. But uh, one other researcher says that as society reopens, there has been a huge surge in the number of dating apps. Okay, well, I get that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that people are keeping back burner relationships just in case. What is society coming to? It's it's crazy, but uh, there is that. Almost that time of year when pumpkin spice starts inching its way back into restaurant menus. Pumpkin spice everything is coming soon. Uh, Last year, you remember, Starbucks was first out of the gate with a pumpkin spice latte on August 25th, which was the earliest date that they had uh, released their pumpkin spice stuff. And a lot of folks were... Upset because they thought it was too early. But uh, Starbucks said it was to soothe coziness-sarved customers who were recovering from a brutal brutal pandemic summer. So, okay, I'll give you a mulligan last year because of the odd year. But now we are in 2021. And uh, the, uh, the Takeout, which is a, a website that uh, tracks all things restaurants, particularly fast food and so on. Uh, Convenience, quick convenience restaurants. Writer Lillian Stone predicts that Starbucks will release the drink on September 1st this year. So that is the prediction when Pumpkin Spice will be back. She says she has the feeling that the general hot vax summer of 2021 mentality... The mentality of that is going to continue until public health officials shut it down. And so, anyway, she's predicting September 1st for uh, Pumpkin Spice Everything to start invading our lives again. So just, I bring that up to prepare you. It is coming. And uh, also, among the first things you need to know this morning, speaking of... Again, it's a pandemic-related story, and I thought this was kind of interesting. As employers juggle how to return millions of employees back to the office after more than a year of remote work in some cases. Again, I think in most cases around our area, people are already back into the office. But in some places, they they still aren't. And a new survey quoted by Bloomberg, conducted by Polefish, finds 65% Of the respondents in the survey, 65% who can do their jobs remotely say that they not only would like to continue doing so, but are willing to take a pay cut just to stay working from home. The uh, consensus is about 5%, although 15% of those in the survey said that they would cut their pay by 25% in order to be able to continue to work at home nearly half of those said that they would give up, a, that they would give up a, a quarter of their days off to continue working from home. They'd take less vacation time. 15% would give up, give up all of their vacation time to stay remote. I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're thinking, because if I'm working remotely, I can work from anywhere, and I can go on vacation for two, three weeks, maybe a month at a time, and still work and have my rest of my days to lounge on the beach. So they would be willing to give up all of their vacation to stay remote. Survey also noted that more than half of those surveyed would give up other uh, creature comforts like Netflix, Amazon or social media for a year to not have to leave their house for work. A third of the respondents said that they would like to they would give up their right to vote in order to stay remote. So this is how passionate some people are about remote working. Uh, they like it so much. For the record, millennials were more likely to give up their ballot uh, for the give up the right to vote to uh, remain remote working. Uh, only 27% of boomers uh, were willing to do that. But anyway, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I, I don't know that I would go that far that I'd give up the 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 right to vote for for uh the opportunity to remain uh to to stay working from home but i can understand the sentiment in any event some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your midweek wednesday morning started
1: wfin news i'm matt demchek The WTOL 11 first alert forecast, mostly sunny today with a high of 82. Just a few clouds tonight, a low of 61. Finley Mayor Christina Mearn was happy to see so many people enjoying Flag City night out last night.
2: It's a fantastic turnout. I think everybody was itching to get out and have a wonderful free community event and be able to enjoy learning a little bit more about our safety services and, and community in general.
1: And the youngsters sure enjoyed checking out all the emergency vehicles that were on hand. See some video from Flag City Night Out on our website. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Findlay was in town to present Habitat for Humanity of Findlay-Hancock County with a Compass Award for its new Financial Opportunity Center, FOC, which empowers people to become financially self-sufficient.
0: They've already seen some remarkable results. Dustin was telling us that the average income level increase is $450 a month already for their program, uh, and it's making our community stronger through financial literacy and uh, helping people reach the next level and reach their own goals.
1: Get more of our conversation with the Treasurer and more about Habitat's new Financial Opportunity Center on our website. An Ohio organization that advocates for affordable housing and fights homelessness is warning about a possible... Wave of evictions following the expiration of a federal moratorium on evictions. Bill Faith is executive director of the Coalition on Homelessness and Housing in Ohio. He said that census data shows there's 213,000
3: Ohio households behind on rent, and about 134,000 renters fear eviction
0: in the next two months. Michael Cassone is an attorney representing landlords. He says the moratorium's end doesn't mean a lot right now because there's so much undistributed rental assistance still available. Daniel Barnett, ONN News.
1: The Marathon Center for the Performing Arts and the United Way of Hancock County are co-hosting a five-week virtual singing competition called 419 Sings. The competition invites vocalists and bands from the 419 area code to submit a video sample of their best work. Prizes include $2,500 cash, a professional recording session, and your own headline performance at the Marathon Center for the Performing Arts. Get more on the competition on our website. And get more news online anytime at WFIN.com.
4: The latest news,
0: sports, weather, and so much more. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. And now to our cover story this morning. As we mentioned, some areas spread of the Delta variant is placing more strain on healthcare systems than even at the height of the pandemic. And of course, we know Hancock County has recently reactivated their weekly uh, COVID dashboard uh, here locally as well. Does that mean that officials here in Hancock County expect yet another surge? We are joined by Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley uh, Health System, and as of right now, at least uh, according to the uh, latest numbers that I've seen, uh, we are still seeing relatively s- uh, low amounts of spread locally. Is that generally the case, or what is the latest assessment?
4: Uh, Chris, that, that would be correct. Now, we are seeing more cases than what we had for a while. We were seeing essentially none. And we've had in the hospital six to nine or something like that. We're seeing younger individuals. And we've had some that have been quite sick, uh, needing ventilators and other kinds of treatment. But in general, from a standpoint, we're not seeing a lot of cases. Uh, I had a report last evening that some of our primary care offices may be seeing a few more cases. And so we're being more vigilant, uh, continuing to use masks and et cetera.
0: (laughs) Now, as we mentioned, uh health department recently sort of uh, restarted that uh, weekly uh, COVID dashboard. Uh, I know that's uh, that decision's made by the health department, that's handled by the health department, but you uh, speak with uh, the folks at the health department uh, quite often, and uh, I know that you've worked very closely with them through this uh, whole pandemic. Um, is that an indication that you expect that there are likely going to be um, more cases that this is kind of inevitable the way the the pandemic spreading to our area was at the very beginning
4: well first we've got maybe half of the population vaccinated so there's a smaller population one to become infected and secondly to pass it on to other individuals although concerned with this delta variant that has gone around that uh, even the vaccinated may pick it up they they Uh, empirically, the data shows that they're not getting as sick, but it looks like they can be carriers as well as they can get it. So that is concern. Um, We're we're preparing for that. I've seen epidemiologists or those experts saying if you're not vaccinated, you're going to get it. Uh, You're going to get the Delta variant. It's just going to be around. If you look at the number of vaccinations we've had Compared to some of these other places, uh, Springfield, Missouri, Arkansas, Florida, where it's around 50%, um, it's become very, uh, not only contagious, but we're seeing a lot of cases. So Mm -hmm. it's not beyond reason that if all at once that we could see a lot of cases just looking at the data.
0: And because of this sudden surge in the spread of the Delta variant, there are places that are reinstating mask mandates. And in some cases, uh, even asking those who have been vaccinated to go ahead and mask up, especially when indoors. Doesn't that kind of go against everything that we have been told to this point that that was one of the reasons why we should get vaccinated so we can shed the masks? And now we're being told to put them back on. It's not sitting well with some folks
4: no and and I can understand that, and uh, part of this is just from the science of what what's occurred uh individuals have made um and government uh those that have been looking at the data tried to make uh i use the word empirical by okay what's what the data looked like it was really uh under control or whatever word you'd want to use mm-hmm. but there was always a point. Yeah, it could come back. We're just going to have to watch and see how many cases and what's occurred. I think the thing that's con- about the mask, and um, I've started to wear a mask again. I think that that just makes sense. Again, I've been vaccinated, but I could be uh, a carrier and not even know it, so I want to protect everyone else. It's really not It's not protecting me. Uh, wearing masks is to help other people. Mm-hmm. But but in it, in addition to that, this, this Delta virus is much more contagious in addition to its being able to be carried. And so we're just looking to see what the data says. It seems to be better to be safe than sorry. Um, and I know that bothers a lot of people about wearing a mask. Uh, the data shows that they have been effective. And so inside, um, now at the hospital, We have everybody is to be wearing a mask. That's Mm -hmm. still, that's governmental recommendation, and that's what we're doing. But if you're going to be uh, inside, uh, especially if the ventilation's, I don't want to say it's not the best, but if there's not a lot of flow, you're much more susceptible to be able to pick up something or to give it to someone. Right. I think those recommendations as they come out are going to probably make at least scientific sense.
0: So here's the question that I, a lot of people are asking. I'm sure that, that you've heard these questions uh, as well. So if we're being told now that we have to mask up again, uh, then then what was the point of, of getting the vaccine in the first place? And beyond that, one of the most interesting uh, questions uh, to come up now is what is the end game? I mean, this is more than likely going to be with us in perpetuity from this point, there are still strains of the Spanish flu from a hundred years ago uh, that are out there. Uh, Obviously not uh, as concerning now as they were then, but at what point do we get to the end game where we can say we have quote unquote beaten this, or we're to the point where, you know, it's, it's just a manageable uh, everyday thing.
4: Well, at first, it's a really good question. I don't think anybody knows the answer to what's happening. Um, the, as far as the first question you ask, and a lot of people are asking well, why did we get these vaccinations right. uh, to start with? Well, one, there was certainly this goes back to last year when the vaccine, the push to get that done, there was an expectation that more than fifty percent of the population would get it. now that whatever that number was going to be, and we've all heard about herd immunity. And it was pointed out, we don't know for this virus what herd immunity needs to be. But if you've got a population of, uh, you know, I've seen the predictions were 70 to 85 percent. We'd still do see see influenza, but there's so many people that are vaccinated or have immunity Mm -hmm. that there's, the, the much smaller population that can spread it, even though individuals can get it. So that, that's one thing. So I, I think the the biggest thing is, again, that we thought that there was going to be an expectation that a lot more people would sign up for the vaccination. Now, what not being vaccinated, one of the things that's changed that was of concern, again, from the science when we first started, was this going to mutate Theoretically, if everyone would have been able to get a vaccine and and got and wanted it Mm -hmm. back in January, we didn't have enough. So, understanding that, we would have not allowed the the virus to be so much endemic in the population to mutate. That's a question that I get asked. Well, if this vaccine doesn't work, uh, well, part of it is is because there's enough infection out in the community that that it can mutate and it is continuing to mutate and and that's what a concern now when are we going to get at the end yeah if you go back to 1918 it was a three-year not at all predicting that this is going to be three-year but there's a lot of us that are concerned about what's going to happen when school goes back Uh, understandably we need to get kids back into school Uh, hopefully we're going to have a vaccine that's going to be available for the under 12 fairly soon But it really does remain to be seen. I don't think we can really predict, um, to answer your question, except we're just going to watch and try to do everything we can as a community and in healthcare to get people vaccinated, either keep them separated, social distance, the things we've been doing, and we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. the 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 problem is, is that as long as we've still got, even though, everybody is doing that, you still have a big part of the population that could get it and we could have a flare up pretty quickly,
0: yeah uh, and, and as you mentioned uh, there's growing concern about what happens with school going back uh, here in just a couple of weeks, especially uh given the fact that the very young children are are not even eligible to be vaccinated at this point, and so uh, right. that does uh, throw a, a whole lot of unknowns into the equation. You mentioned the fact that we've got about what about fifty percent or so uh, vaccination rate here locally. They're looking at uh, possible full approval, full FDA approval for at least, I believe the Pfizer vaccine is probably going to be the first one up to get full approval. Do you think that will ultimately make a difference? There are an awful lot of people are using the excuse that this is still not an FDA approved or fully approved vaccine. Will that full approval make a substantial difference in your mind?
4: Well, from a a standpoint of practically... That making the vaccine better because it gets full approval from my standpoint no because this is a very effective vaccine that went through good trials despite the, no but the, i mean will it ask. will it
0: will it inspire more people to yeah. go ahead and, and get the vaccine that that haven't or will they just come up with another excuse
4: um, i i guess i would phrase it maybe a little bit different i think there's people justifiably thinking that this needs to be fully approved i have mm-hmm. heard that as much as anything of why people have not got it. So I am very hopeful. In fact, that's one of the things we're working here, trying to figure out uh, if there's anything, not that we can do to get the FDA to do that. Why won't you approve it? What are the concerns? I think we need to be as transparent as we can. If there are problems, uh, that ought to be brought to light, but it doesn't appear to be. So to answer your question, yeah, I'm really hopeful that when people see that, I mean, it just in general, people. There's early adopters. There's people that say, "Okay, well, once everybody else has got it," and mm-hmm. there's people towards the end right. that that don't adopt. And okay, I've looked at this. I've listened to enough uh, of individuals in different parts of the United States that have said, "Well, that that is a point," and they've also seen what's happened to some of their friends. And so there's a lot of things going on. So I. Remain optimistic that we're going to be able to get more people get vaccinated, but that's not going to solve the whole problem because right. of, it, it's going to be helpful, but we've still got these variants. We've still got changes, mutations going on.
0: Uh, We will leave it there for now, Uh, and uh, again, it sounds like a broken record, but we'll wait and see what happens next, and and obviously, it's not going to be the last time that this uh, topic comes up. Dr. Bill Coase, Blanchard Valley Health System, with us this morning. Dr. Coase, thanks very much for taking the time for the update. We appreciate it.
4: Thank you very much for allowing me. And if, if individuals have thoughts about what we ought to be doing as a community, the hospital, uh, send me an email. I would appreciate it. We're trying to work with the community as much as we can. Thanks again, Chris.
0: So after a year and a half of having the kids around basically 24-7 with homeschooling and, uh, you know, uh, everything else, parents being educators and child care providers and and all of that round the clock, certainly uh, parents are ready uh, to get back to a more normal type of, uh, of schedule as we head toward back to school. But what does that look like? And is it time to maybe rethink uh, that, like we've kind of rethought a lot of things post-pandemic. We're joining this morning by uh, child, care, child care expert, professional, professional caregiver, Jada Rashawn, easy for me to say, uh, talking about rethinking the entire experience of child care. And uh, Jada, a lot of families have spent the last year, year and a half without professional child care. They haven't really needed it. How do they start now preparing for these post-pandemic options?
2: You know, um, first, thank you for having me. Um, in regards to f- figuring out how to navigate things in the future is really just understanding that we have to have a conversation and several at that and ongoing conversations. Families have to understand what their needs are and really taking the opportunity to reflect on this past year and what some of those, their biggest challenges were. We've got to reimagine this whole child care thing because Moving forward, we want to be better prepared and we want to have a plan. Um, You know, I work with families on a a daily basis on providing solutions for them that work. And one of the things is that families just do not know where to start. Um, Also, working with Sitter City, they've created a really strong and effective tool. It's a planning assistant that helps families find out the childcare solution that works best for their families. It's a great starting point.
0: So, what are some of the questions uh, that that families should be asking themselves to identify, you know, what they need uh, post pandemic and and how best to make it work? And then, what are some of the ways of finding the quality care that meets those needs?
2: Great question. You know, families need to look at the full landscape of things. They've got to look at. The schedule that they're looking for care. Um, If they want someone to come into the home, they need to take their child to someone. They need someone long-term, full-time, or short-term. They also need to explore their budget. What are they willing to invest in and what can they invest in, as well as what makes the most sense for their family. And in order to find you know, the right child care and quality child care, you need to understand what works best for your family. There is no one size fits all approach to this. It's customary. And so having these conversations and arming yourself with resources like the Sitter City Planning Assistant tool is going to be your best bet in arriving to the proper quality child care for your family I
0: want to underscore something that you uh, mentioned uh, because I, I think in the past maybe we've been guilty of thinking that hey you need a sitter you need child care uh, either you uh, hire a hire a city maybe even hire a, n- a nanny or you know find a child care center to you know, take your kids to whatever it might happen to be we all seemed very cookie cutter and what you're talking about is uh, making the experience a lot more uh, individualized.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, one family might need a full time nanny to live with them for for a certain period of time, but another family may not need that another family might just need some help in the morning time to getting the kids off to school. Another family could need someone who who is full time with them, but may not necessarily need to live with them. And so that's why, you know, exploring all of your options, but really assessing your needs. And, you know, 70% of families had no idea where to start when it came to childcare and managing that cognitive load is taxing on families. It's stressful. And we can't continue uh, navigating the childcare search in that form or fashion. And so that's why Sitter City and myself, we're, working to provide these solutions that simplify this process and actually make childcare work for families.
0: Yeah, a lot of uh, different options out there. You mentioned the 70%. So this survey, 70% of parents say that they were uh, very much overwhelmed over the course of the past year. Certainly understandable. It says here uh, a little more over half, 51% say they don't feel prepared for the upcoming school year. So with those numbers in mind, if you could share one, maybe the one biggest piece of advice for families who are looking for support and maybe feeling overwhelmed, not sure that they are prepared, what would that single biggest piece of advice be?
2: Yeah. um, Not feeling prepared is not fun, right? You need (laughs) to have a plan. And so I highly recommend you exploring the available support that is out there that's going to help you Prepare and plan for the right child care that works for your family. Take that two-minute free assessment on sittercity.com because it's going to give you information that is extremely valuable. Even if you don't utilize it right then and there, Mm -hmm. having the information and knowing, okay, I need this child care support for my family is going to make a world of a difference.
0: At the very least, it'll give you a lot to think about there as you get to here in these last few weeks before school kicks up again. Take a deep breath. We'll all get through it. Again, a child care expert and professional caregiver Jada Rashan with us this morning. As mentioned, the website where folks can get more information.
2: Yes. Go to sittercity.com. Thank you guys so much for having me. We got this, parents.
0: Time for today's Keeping the Faith series. You know, even as many congregations have struggled to reverse the trend of declining attendance, which has been a problem for the church for many years, now uh, many congregations discovering they have another problem, finding enough mature young people who want to become ministers. Here's correspondent John Clemens this morning, keeping the faith.
5: One Barna Group study of 14,000 pastors, known as the State of Pastors, found 69% agree with the statement, it is harder to find mature young Christians who want to become pastors. Dr. Jason Allen is the president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City. Dr. Allen's latest book is Letters to My Students.
3: The 21st century presents the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ with many, many challenges, much of which we see on our evening news cycle, uh, much we see around us in the culture and in shopping malls and in the school houses and places we go, the church must have well-trained, well-equipped pastors to lead the church through this season of great challenge. This book, Letters to My Students on Pastoring, is an attempt toward that end.
5: One of the challenges for the church is the sexual revolution.
3: Well, we now in the 21st century, in the middle of this enormous sexual revolution that has transformed and impacted virtually every area of society, not just the definition and redefinition of marriage, but personal identity, uh, gender, uh, citation. And so the church really is grappling with these issues, and pastors have to be able to speak to and to speak from the Word of God and to these issues in such a way that equips the people of God to be ready to engage them.
5: Dr. Adlin tells us Charles Spurgeon, faced challenges for Christians in the late 1800s.
3: Well, at the end of Spurgeon's ministry, he engaged in the great conflict known as the downgrade controversy over doctrinal demise over the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, the substitutionary atoning work of Christ, and that demise that Spurgeon fought has only continued in pace and in breadth. And so we find ourselves in this age contending for the inerrancy and the truthfulness of Scripture, contending for the substitutionary atoning work of Christ, contending for the exclusivity of the gospel that men and women must believe in Jesus to be saved.
5: Dr. Ellen is a well-renowned expert on pastoral ministry, spending more than 15 years as pastor and interim pastor of Southern Baptist churches, both in Alabama and in Kentucky.
3: As a young man in college processing my own call to ministry, I was given Spurgeon's book, Lectures to My Students, and in it he speaks to the call to ministry and the fact that the first sign of a call to ministry is an intense, all-absorbing desire for the work. For me, that awareness from Spurgeon, uh, along with passages like 1 Timothy chapter 3, helped to clarify and to form up my call to ministry.
5: Letters to My Students takes the reader, building on what Spurgeon wrote to the current day challenges.
3: He speaks to pastoral ministry, both from a theological and doctrinal standpoint, but also from a practical standpoint. And so my book really does carry that theme one step further, but from the 19th century now into the 21st century.
5: Dr. Allen is encouraged by others who are not in the pulpit, but are serving the Lord every day.
3: One does not have to have a similar degree to faithfully serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I lead an institution, a theological institution, and uh, we strongly encourage such degrees, but one doesn't have to have it. But one must be equipped. Mu- one must be prepared. One must be trained. And the seminary context is a conventional place, historically, where that training has taken place.
5: The call to ministry has been described as the highest, greatest, and most glorious calling to which one can be called.
3: It's not easy to be a pastor. It's a glorious calling, an exhilarating calling, a fulfilling calling, but it can be a challenging one as well. And the backdrop of COVID-19 the past year or so has only exacerbated many of these challenges. But this book is written to be encouraging. In fact, the very first chapter in this book is entitled, Why I Admire Pastors.
5: Here's how to get in touch with Dr. Jason Allen.
3: Yes, letters to my students on pastoring is out with BNH Publishers. It's accessible through b website, Amazon, and most anywhere books are sold. Uh, they are welcome to visit my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com. And, of course, Midwestern Seminary in Spurgeon College, where I'm privileged to serve as president, mbts.edu, mbts.edu, and then spurgeoncollege.com as well.
0: This is John Clemens reporting. So many issues faced by the church today, and yet they carry on. More details at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Keeping the faith this morning.
4: We interrupt this program to bring you a broken
0: news alert. Today's update to the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you is a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You have to wonder what's going on inside this guy's head. Police in Pennsylvania say that... Is it just me or have there been uh, an inordinate number of uh, broken news stories out of Pennsylvania recently? Uh, They're rivaling Florida. The amount of dumb news coming out weird. Police in Pennsylvania say a man from Blair County was allegedly going door to door at about 7 a.m. this past Friday saying someone was going to kill him. And then he barricaded himself in the basement of a storage facility. Uh, Witnesses and workers from the building in Greenfield Township told police that uh, 33-year-old Roy Smith is in the basement and would not come out. Police found a broken door with a footprint that matched Mr. Smith. And according to the charges uh, filed, he confessed to using meth the night before. Well, now we have an idea of what's going on here. He's now facing several charges, including felony burglary. But of all <laughs> places to barricade yourself in the basement of a, of a storage facility. So, I don't know. It's kind of awkward. A pickup truck that was launching. There is video of this. And it is absolutely there. I haven't watched the whole video, but I've watched uh, part of. I've seen some of the still shots. And uh, pickup truck launching a motorboat into lake springfield in illinois was caught on camera as it slid into the water and sank (laughs) which that's not all that unusual i mean that happens from time to time there's unlucky boaters the uh tow vehicle as you're launching your boat backs into the lake and and sinks but it just so happened that this event (laughs) this happened during a live news report wcis tv reporter jacob emerson was uh doing a a live stand-up on a proposed project to build a second artificial lake in the area when the white GMC Sierra pickup backed down the ramp and the driver got out to release the boat that was towing it from his trailer. In the video, the truck can be seen behind uh, the reporter sliding into the water itself and getting fully submerged all within 25 seconds. <laughs> Fortunately, there were no injuries. Local officials say the uh, the slip poses a unique challenge and was coated in a layer of algae, which is probably what led to the accident. The city will be investigating to determine exactly what happened and if any changes need to be made to the boat launch. I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. <laughs> probably need to make a few changes. And uh, you might uh, owe this guy uh, a few bucks for his trouble, too. mm Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, at least now this uh seems like the you could almost see this coming, really. At least 3 guests were suffered minor injuries on Monday night after an iceberg wall collapsed at the t- Titanic Museum attraction in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. <laughs> Oh, the uh, legend of the Titanic continues. Three people were injured when an iceberg wall collapsed at the Titanic Museum attraction. Three guests were taken to the hospital. Uh, the, they're expected to recover. The museum's owners uh, say it was not immediately clear what caused the collapse. Quoting now, needless to say, we would never have expected an incident like this to occur as the safety of our guests and crew members are always top of mind. <laughs> but on the other hand, it is the Titanic. <laughs> so not entirely unexpected in that respect. Here's an item from Florida. Always got to have an item from Florida in the broken news. Emergency responders were summoned to an unusual traffic scene where an airborne, check this out, an airborne turtle crashed through a driver's windshield. And the turtle survived, by the way. The St. Lucie County Fire District says in a Facebook post that police and firefighters responded to the Florida Turnpike in northern St. Lucie County on a report of a turtle crashing through a driver's windshield. Apparently, the turtle had been struck by a semi-truck on the highway. And so what is the turtle doing on the highway? Uh, Hopefully, the turtle has learned its lesson. But the turtle had apparently been struck by a semi-truck on the highway and sent flying into the windshield of the other vehicle. Try to explain that to your insurance company. Uh, Both driver and turtle were unharmed, the fire district said the turtle was released released safely into the wild. And we'll probably not try to the... Why did the turtle cross the road? To crash through somebody's windshield. Weird. And finally, in the broken news this morning, uh, all hail the Buckeye State, an Ohio man had to be taped to a plane seat recently after other passengers say he assaulted and groped flight attendants on a frontier airlines flight from philadelphia to miami last week maxwell barry of norwalk was arrested when the plane landed police reports say he ordered multiple alcoholic drinks on the flight brushed a flight attendant's backside uh, and then came out of the plane's bathroom shirtless he then allegedly groped another flight attendant, and that's when passengers, on, other passengers on the plane jumped in to help, taping him to a seat and tying him in with a seatbelt extender. <laughs> uh, he was arrested when the uh, flight was landed. Well, you know what they say? Getting there is half the fun. That's... <laughs> There you go. That is uh, today's broken news report. Today's update of the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual
5: Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to
0: WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and calendar. Thanks to Details Autospot, Lorette Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. Been paying attention to the Olympics. Have you ever wondered just how much those Olympic medals would be worth? Uh, if you were to melt them down, the design of the medals is different with uh, each Olympics. But this time around, based on current precious metals pricing, if you were to melt them down, and of course none of the competitors will, but if you were, the 556 gram gold medal, which is actually pure silver plated in gold, uh, the gold accounts for just six grams of that total, would be worth about six. I'm sorry, about eight hundred dollars melted down. Eight hundred dollars. Uh, the 550 gram pure silver medal would earn you about four hundred fifty dollars, while the 450 gram bronze medal, which is actually 95% copper and 5% zinc would only net you about five bucks. <laughs> How about that? I would have never guessed it five bucks for a bronze medal. Still selling a medal in its original form can equate a lot more cash. Multiple past Olympians have chosen to sell theirs for very large sums, either because they've hit hard times or sometimes because they want to raise money for charity or what have you. But, uh, that's definitely the preferred way to uh, cash out if that's what you were so inclined to do. i tell you what, I am so excited uh, about this event coming up on Saturday. The Flag City Corvette Club's 2021 Cartoons on Main. Yes, that's right. It is time to go cruising once again. Leanne Webb from the uh, Flag City Corvette Club is with us this morning. Uh, you're kind of uh, put in charge of uh, making all of this happen this year, I'm told. Right? What a uh, what a job. That's a big. That's a big big job for one, for one person to to uh, to take care of.
6: Well, I may be the. The event person but i have a lot of
0: helpers. let me tell you <laughs> i would imagine you would have to uh you so have to. so this is a, a a great event a lot of people remember uh for many years uh cruise night was held downtown and and this uh event is kind of brings back uh a lot of what people remember and really love about it because you are actually going to be cruising downtown
6: that is correct, yes, from 3.30 to 7.30. You don't have to cruise if you don't want to, but if you want to,
0: you can. So give us all of the details uh, on this uh, on this whole uh, shindig here.
6: Okay. Um, of course, it's on Saturday. Uh, we start registration at 11. It'll go to 2 o'clock. We'll start parking cl- cars at 11. Okay. And then at 3... 3:30. Of course, we'll start the cruise to 7.30, and then 8 o'clock, we'll present the awards. Um, top 50 plus three special awards will be awarded. The, um, we have some food vendors, and I think this is going to be a wonderful night and day. It, it's going to be a beautiful day, and we're so glad that we are able to do it again this year Of course, last year we were not allowed to because of the pandemic. Right, found out in April we could, and this will be our sixteenth year of doing this.
0: Wow, Uh, and and again, it has gone through a number of iterations, a number of forms uh, over the over the years. But this is uh, kind of the uh, classic. Uh, cartoons on main type of event the the cruise night uh sort of event that uh that we all remember from uh years by gone by if uh if folks can remember now this is open as we said it's being put on by the flag city corvette club but this is open to virtually all types of vehicles right that is correct all makes and models Come one, come all. <laughs> and uh, do you have any idea? I know the early registration deadline uh, was uh, back in early July, fairly early July, uh, and, and folks can register the day of, so you don't have to have been registered already. But based on those early registrations, do you have any idea You know how many uh, cars you expect? Uh, we always
6: try the our hope that we'll have anywhere from 3 to 400 cars.
0: So that's a that's going to be a, a pretty good uh, good collection of uh, vehicles downtown plenty for for folks to see and admission for spectators uh, is free, correct?
6: That is correct. And the day of the show for the car owners is $20.
0: Okay, so the and red- of
6: course all of the proce- proceeds, I'm sorry, all the proceeds that we earned during the car show will go to open arms which is our charity and has been our charity for the last 16 years
0: yeah i wanted to bring that up because uh, again this is uh, such a great event for the community but also a great event because it gives back to the community and as you said you have supported open arms for a number of years
6: absolutely and they will be there as well with us Uh, ashley ritz will be there and we'll get her Talking on the uh, with the DJ that we have, mm-hmm. and she always works the registration table with us. And this is just, they're just thrilled that we're able to do this again last
0: year, yeah, or
6: again this year because we couldn't last year, yeah.
0: Uh, so a lot of money raised for a very good cause uh, in within the community. And uh, again, the now the the actual. Um, kind of lay out the the area where the the cars will be parked and and where they'll be cruising and so on so folks know when they head downtown you know where everything is going to be
6: okay um they'll be parked on main street and Mm -hmm. all side streets from um, harden up to center okay try to keep everything to the south of the river but we can go over up farther if we need, yeah. need to. Yeah, well, and then this, oh, I was going to say, in this year due to the construction that's happening, we have to change where we normally have had our entrance location. Okay. And that entrance location will be at West Main Cross and Corey Street. Okay. And we'll we'll stage cars there until we can get them in there. You know, open it up at eleven to get them parked downtown
0: and then we will this is just for the benefit of those who will be exhibiting for the uh, car owners that's where they will need to go in obviously if you're a spectator you can come in where you wherever you want um but uh, uh you know walk in wherever you want obviously that part of the uh, area is going to be blocked off but uh for uh, car owners that are, are coming in then uh once you are registered and signed up will you be uh, directing them to uh, a a, a Place to park at least until the cruise begins
6: uh we will we'll have people okay. from our club downtown and helping them get parked. We don't really try we let them you know if they come in in a group we try to keep them in a group right right um you know so because they're coming with their friends and they want to hang out and look at the cars and enjoy it uh the city is providing us some bleachers that will be on the corner of. Main and oh, West cool. Main Cross and East Main Cross, yeah. So spectators can sit there and watch people cruise.
0: Yeah, watch the uh, watch the cruise. Uh, so it's going to be an an awful lot of fun. And again, uh, everything starts uh, the registration. You said at eleven o'clock on Saturday. That is correct, Chris. And mm-hmm. then the cruise part uh, of it starts at 3:30. three thirty.
6: Three. That is correct, yeah, because we actually have registration until 2 o'clock.
0: Yeah, so you need to be there by 2 if you want to uh, uh, enter your vehicle. Cruise part starts at uh, 3.30, goes to about uh, 7.30. Everything is uh, wrapped up by by 9 o'clock, and... Uh, always uh, attract some absolutely fabulous vehicles of all shapes and sizes makes and models and and so on and uh, a lot of them from the area a lot of them from out of the area that's one of the, part of the part of the fun of this as well as people come in from all over
6: uh you're correct because we actually have some cars that are, uh Corvette club actually out of Toledo was coming we also also have um a club that's from northwest ohio it's the cadillac lasalle club
2: Ooh! they
6: will be coming down yeah and they will be they will be parked in john rich's uh cadillac lot of course um, they will because he's, <laughs> yeah because they're gonna well he is our sponsor
0: it makes uh, sense for
6: our corvette club and he's gonna have them there because they're a specialty club. Yeah. Whistle of the South. Yeah. The Cadillac of the South. And they're beautiful cars.
0: Man. It is going to be an awful lot of fun. If you are a fan of uh, classic cars, uh, this is the place to be Saturday, downtown cartoons on Maine with the Flag City Corvette Club. And again, Leanne Webb with us uh, this morning, complete preview. We've got more details at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net for all of that. Leanne, thanks very much for taking the time. We look forward to seeing you on Saturday.
6: And thanks for having me. Thank you.
0: And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the show at our webpage. Check us out. Our little corner of the World Wide Web that is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, it is a big moment, more than a month in the making. We will officially dedicate the new WFIN studio at Lake Cascades. It's going to be a lot of fun. Until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.